This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here. FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? I'm doing well, thank you. It's nice to be in the same house as you, (laughs) albeit not the same room. Uh, because we can't work out how technology works. Um, big show today. Don't forget, of course, registrations have uh, are, sorry are still open for the share market trading game. The game has begun, Thomas. Uh, mm. Have you bought any shares yet? Not yet, not yet. It's on my to-do list today. Biding your time. Yeah, I've bought some and I'm down. Oh. So, um, so you're ahead <laughs> by your apathy and inaction. You are <laughs> leading between the two of us. Uh, but I expect big things from me. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, massive show to get through today, Thomas. Um, we're into day five of the holiday house together mm. uh, on the Flurio, Flurio Peninsula here in wonderful South Australia. Uh, one grandparent three couples and six kids under seven. Fair to say there's plenty of gross domestic product going on around here, so it seems only right that we look at GDP data today. Uh, And here's a word you're going to hear a lot of in the near future, tosser. That's because there's an election looming. Another word you're going to hear a lot of is stagflation, and we're going to take a look at stagflation today. And we've got a listener question about the business cycle. And no, it's not a setting on your washing machine that you use to wash your suits. It's an economics thing. But first, Thomas, when it rains, it pours. And much of the country is dealing with floods, including your home, hometown, Thomas, of Mullumbimby. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, as I mentioned, we are both holidaying together in South Australia at the moment. So thankfully you, you're not there, um, but obviously your house was caught up in it. Um, the whole town of Mullumbimby, where you are, um, thousands of people are affected right across Queensland and New South Wales. So I guess firstly, Thomas, I wanted to ask you, how are things looking for you at the moment? Uh, yeah, we, we were pretty lucky. So we, we got out the day the, the big rains came, flew out. Um, and it, mm. I was saying it took us 20 minutes to get through the cloud layer flying out. Like it was just a phenomenal amount of cloud and dumping a phenomenal amount of rain. Our house was lucky. So we were at the high end of the street and it got up to our doorstep. Wow. Yeah, so another, another two or three inches and the uh, floorboards would have been under, which would have created a whole bunch of drama. But So we, we were very mm. lucky. But all, all down our street, it's just carnage. Some, some houses were up to the roof line 
covered in water. Right. Yeah, and Malamimbi's still still struggling. Like this, uh, like power outages. There's um, that water supply was off for a couple of days. There was no phone or internet, no ATMs, no FPOS. Malamimbi's sort of like a hub of a, a whole bunch of settlements that go up the valleys, and they're all all the roads are washed away. The bridges are out. Yeah, talking to folks back home, it's pretty pretty full on. Some of the photos that, that I've seen through you and, and your wife, Anna, just people sending them through to you going, hey, check out the roads because you guys aren't there. So you're mm. getting those kind of firsthand accounts of people like, hey, look at look at where the road used to be. Mm. It's just incredible the amount of damage that's that's been caused by the floods. Yeah, it's really full on. And, and the, I mean, the thing is, it's like we're about 45 minutes from Lismore, so Lismore... Lismore went well under. Mm. So that like they're all, you know, you go through Lismore previously and there was like flood markers for the 1974 flood. So like on sides of buildings going like this is where the flood got to and you look at it and go, wow, okay, that's a lot of water. And that was all time record and Lismore's kind of prepared for that. But then, mm. well, you know, sort of prepared for that. But then this flood smashed that record by two metres. So the previous was like 12 something and we got to 14 something in Lismore. So just smashed mm. the record and so it's just a huge amount. Yeah, no one was really prepared. Lismore was prepared for floods but just wasn't prepared for floods like that. And then, yeah, all, all through that region it's like, yeah, carnage. So the, the flood waters are, are subsiding now, have subsided in, in a lot of areas and, and I guess now comes the time where where we start to count the cost and obviously there's a tragic human cost to it, where, you know, lives have been lost. Um, mm. Curious in terms of the economic cost, what does this do to these kinds of to the, the economies and to the towns themselves. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. You, you hear the talk about the economic cost. Like they're talking about the damage bill's going to top $2 billion. Mm. The Brisbane floods in 2011 cost $2.1 billion. Back in 74, it was $3.2 billion in today's dollars. So, yeah, not, we're not quite looking at that kind of carnage. But I don't, I don't know how they, they calculate those numbers and I think it's just off insurance claims. So... Right. Yeah, the insurance council was saying that they've had more already more than forty eight thousand claims um, across sort of the the east coast region. That seems a pretty bad metric to use, though. Like, cause I I thought you know talking to you and and some of your friends, like a lot of the houses aren't covered by for flood insurance, are they? No. Like, so yeah. if you're not covered, do you, do you still lodging a claim? I mean, so that would seem to miss a lot of data and a lot of cost that wouldn't wouldn't be captured yeah that's right that's right yeah so I'm, I'm not sure how they how they estimate that or, or, or like maybe and maybe there's some missed days mm. work or um yeah misproduction i don't know i mean the, the weird thing about it is that in some ways this is kind of what often pointed as the perverse way we talk about ec- economics and calculating gdp but a disaster creates a whole lot of economic activity so mm. people rebuild and roads get built and bridges get rebuilt. You're not gaining mm. anything, you're just getting back to where you were. But um, because it's economic activity, it's a net positive in the, ter- in the mm. way that we count when we look at the economy. And so, yeah, so it's one of the perverse things about like a, an oil spill can be a net positive for the economy because it creates economic activity because there's a cleanup, even though there's n- in no sense in which it's a good thing. Right. But don't rush out and tip oil in the ocean. No. Thinking you're helping helping the economy, <laughs> doing your bit. I'm just, just doing my bit. I'm just going to pour this petrol in the sea. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah, so just in terms of the insurance, the stat I, I read, they're saying there's already 900 million uh, flood damage claims. That's, so that's mm. already. 
just off a week's worth. And the insurance uh. council was saying that's half of what Australian insurers paid out for the entirety of 2020-21. Wow. I mean, it doesn't. you also don't capture the just a huge volunteering effort that's that's going on right now. Oh, yeah. like, I'm sort of seeing it through you in Mullumbimby, but you've been on the phone a lot, talking to lots of people within the community. You've opened up your house to, to people, you know, because you're not there at the moment, so mm. you're, you're letting people come and stay, you know. Um, so there's just a huge kind of community pulling together, kind of volunteering effort that's going on that wouldn't be captured at all in any of the, the economic data. And mm. we have talked on the show before about volunteer work and that's mm. kind of not really captured mm. so mm. this would be you know this is really kind of volunteer work on steroids isn't it oh it's, it sounds amazing it's, it's actually really hard to be here missing that and hearing about this the things that people are doing and and the way the community is coming together mm. often a community will, will bind together through a crisis and it goes those social i find ties. i find it really hard for you to be here too to be honest yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is some, there's some good stories. I saw um, I saw there was a lady in Tweed Heads. She owns a pharmacy, and she was trying to respond to people's needs for to get medication. And so she put a post out on social media saying, "Look, I've I've got all this medicine that I need to try and distribute to people who are who are affected by the floods, who are stranded by the flood water. Would love it if someone could could come and help me out a bit." The next thing she sees is Mick Fanning riding in on a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> just like yo what's up uh and mick there's a world champion surfer for those that don't know mick fanning uh goes and, and gets the pharmacist and helps distribute medicines to sick people which i don't know like the ses do an amazing job and 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 their their effort should be well recognized but it's pretty hard to top uh th- that would be one of the most exciting rescue missions going around <laughs> is mick fanning on a jet ski <laughs> And, and the best thing is that if there were any sharks or anything else that got into the floodwaters, then you know Mick's down for just like smashing him in the face barehanded. So uh, kudos, kudos. Well, there was a crocodile that escaped into the floodwaters of at Tullabudra. Right. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what happened to that croc though. Right. Well, Mick Fanning probably took it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, GDP data was out this week. What did we learn? Oh, we learned that no one cares about GDP anymore, apparently. Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, it used to be, you know, the big economic, you know, event of the quarter. But, um, mm. yeah, a bit, a bit higher So it happens now. once a quarter, GDP mm. data? Yeah, yeah once, okay. yeah, once a quarter. Yeah, I mean, partly it's just, it's just all over the shop at the moment because it's all affected by the lockdown. So we've got 3.4% in the quarter, December quarter we're talking about. That's a big number historically. But then it follows a 1.9 contraction in the previous quarter, which is a big number again. Um, mm. So it's just sort of like chopping and changing. And so everyone's a bit like, oh, whatever, can't make sense of it. If you ca- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I so, do. Yeah. If I can't make sense of it, I just stop reading. I'm just like that. <laughs> I'm tuning out. But so if you try and look through, look through all that, like... GDP is running at 4.2% over the year. You can kind of think about GDP of 3, 3.5% being trend or average. So 4.2% is a strong number. The economy seems to, be, seems to be pumping along pretty strongly. We're now, yeah, 3.4% above the 2019 peak. Below the trend, though, like, so it's definitely a good story, but we're below where we would have been if COVID had never happened and 
you know, previous trends had continued. So we're still, mm. there's still a bit of a knockback. So there's there. room for growth still? It, it's I think still, so. We've, it's got, still, we've got a way to go? Yeah, I think so. I think December quarter captures most of the Omicron lockdown right. or the early stages of it. So, yeah, still, that's still in the numbers. There's still room for a bit of catch up. Could definitely happen. Dare I ask, were there any highlights? Were there any sort of <laughs> any uh, interesting points? Is there anything interesting about GDP at all? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to extract here. I think the thing that's still really interesting for me is the massive increase in savings that we've seen since COVID started. So that's still in effect. Uh, December was another massive number. So four point, uh, so $44.6 billion in savings in quarter four. So we're talking about household savings, like like just yeah. people saving money. People just stashing money that away. That seems like a bad idea like because everyone else, like we're, we're also talking about inflation mm. and the, to me the opposite thing that you want to be doing during high levels of inflation is saving money. Yeah. Does it include if you're paying off your home loan with the money? Uh, I think it does. I, th- or it includes, I think it includes offset accounts. So if you're right. putting money into an offset account, that's classified as savings. So that's something. Mm. But otherwise, if you're just saving money at the moment, if you're putting it into a, a savings account, you're getting mm. a you're getting no interest, mm-hmm. but b inflation is ramping up. It would seem. Yeah. And so, I even went to order dinner at the surf club the other night, and it came to more than it usually does because we're pretty predictable with our meal ordering, and I'm like, that's ten dollars more than it normally costs, and the, <laughs> the girl in the kitchen was just like. Yeah, inflation. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you calling inflation? <laughs> the surf club? Like, yeah. I think right. it's not that people are going like. I think now's a good time to save money. Though that probably is part of it. But I think it's more that mm. they just can't spend the way they normally do when you when you're mm. locked down and stuck at home. There's a bunch of discretionary spending that doesn't happen, but also what you'd consider non-discretionary, like say petrol price, petrol expenditure. Like if you're normally commuting to work, mm. to work every day, um, and now you're locked at home, you're just not buying petrol the way you used to, and that's not a that's not a choice to save more. It just naturally happens. Mm. Yeah. So that that seems to be the story with this boom in savings. Yeah, but like so mm. over the seven quarters since the pandemic began, Aussies have banked. 372 billion which is a massive number wow so so compared to the seven quarters previously that was 132 billion so we're sort of saving three times as much as as we were so the question is what happens to that say what you know with that massive chest of money that households are now sitting on what do they do with it some of it's probably going to go into consumption and so consumption was the big driver of of growth this quarter into the December quarter it was up 6.3% in the quarter so definitely a consumption rebound and consumption accounts for 55% so over half of gdp is household consumption you have to think that's got to drive gdp drive the economy going forward but it also then it's like maybe but maybe some of that goes into investment so maybe that goes into a deposit for a house or goes into the share market or something like that so mm. it's sort of a, it's sort of bullish for everything that that sort of war chest of savings but still don't know exactly where it's going to go from here crypto is well down at the moment so mm. yeah by the day <laughs> <laughs> all right why don't we take a break here we're going to be back talking about the business cycle and then stagflation right after this short message from our sponsors Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Uh, don't forget you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com 
or via the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. And that's what Scotty did. He sent us a message on Instagram and Scotty asks, hey guys, love your stuff. Could you do a podcast on the business cycle in double quotes? So Thomas, I'm excited. What's the business cycle? (laughs) Uh, So this is an idea um, that... You know, the economy sort of grows along around trends, so something like 3% we talked about before. But then it, it's not a straight line. It's sort of like it cycles, it sort of like a waveform moves around that trend line. So sometimes it grows at 4.2%, which we just saw, but then sometimes it grows at 1.5% or something like that. Sometimes mm. it goes negative. And so you imagine like a straight trend line just going going up at a 45-degree angle or something and then... Actually, the actual data sort of waveforming around that sometimes higher, sometimes lower, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. And that sort of like that cycle around the trend is what we call the business cycle. Mm. Yeah, and so you've got sort of moves from like growth to a boom and then it slows back to trend and then it goes into a slowdown and then into a recession and then into a recovery and then back and forth and around and around it goes. And that's what we call the business cycle. And that's what you learn in first year economics and it, carry, it carries a lot of currency. Like you hear it a lot. It's a sort of the, this idea. Can you buy into it? Like can you, because I had a quick, just a quick, did a quick Google here. So we've got the four, there are four parts of the business cycle, expansion, peak, contraction and trough. Mm-hmm. Can we just buy at the trough all the time, sell at the peak? Yeah, if, if it were that simple, if only it were that simple. <laughs> yeah. Or is this like the Santa rally that everyone says happens every year and we all, everyone profits, but no one knows when it's coming, even though it's at Christmas time every year? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you've kind of got to separate out the sort of two dynamics. So, saying like the business cycle is sort of like the natural tendency of the market or the economy to sort of cycle around. And you see, and you have these sort of natural feedback effects that sort of confidence goes up and things get to get good, but then things turn and then business contracts and then credit contracts. And um, so you have these sort of natural, in, in, the, in the story, and it's more of a metaphor, and it sort of, be, it sort of comes out of the fact that... <laughs> <laughs> it's a concept. It's a, concept. It's a vision. It's a- <laughs> It's a vibe. A vibe. Well, it is. It's, yeah. It, like economics used to be in the social sciences. It used to be a social science. And then, and then the profession, the discipline sort of went, you know what? We kind of think of ourselves more like a science than a social science. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. This makes so much more sense now. Like, yeah. of course, economics used to be a social science. Like, yeah. it's yeah. so fluffy. Yeah. But in classic economist fashion, they went... I reckon we could probably make some money out of this. Why don't we make it like more of a science and then we can all get paid more? And all the economists went, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ah, jerks. It lends itself to that because there's so much data, like so much of the economy Mm. is quantifiable and so you can can create all this data and then you can create all these um, models that sort of track the interaction of those data points. And so it is, and that's not to say it's all unvaluable. It is, it's very valuable. But in the early days, economists took their cue from engineering and sort of the physical sciences. And so the conception of the economy is, is sort of like a, it's like a machine that just sort of that moves along and then it has this natural equilibrium. 
Mm. And then it has shocks that that take it away from that equilibrium, but then it will return to that equilibrium because it's got these stabilizers and there's just a sort of a, a natural tendency, like in a physical system, where the the system wants to be and it'll gravitate around that system and find its way back there eventually. There's no one thing controlling the economy. Like if you talk mm. about physical science, you talk about engineering, then there's mm. there are parts. It's a, it's by it's it's all designed to work together. Someone mm. sort of built someone built a thing, yeah. but the economy is just like a, a sort of an amalgamation of lots of different things and and lots of different people are, are controlling different levers and trying to to make the economy do things. But no one person or no one entity can kind of go. No, we're going to do this now with the economy. So no. So it's yeah, just and it's yeah, it's not clear that there is an equilibrium, like, or that if we ever get there, um, mm. or where that comes from. But you hear in talk, like you hear about the law of supply and demand. That's that's the way we talk about it because we're taking our cue from like the laws of physics or the laws of gravity. <laughs> we're trying to like yeah. there's there's a little uh, to me it seems like there's trying a to bit le- of, legitimize economics as a as a profession. Yeah, I think yeah. is what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So you can kind of separate in your model of the economy the way the way it's sort of taught is you have this this business cycle dynamic which is this these laws of physics that sort of govern the the way this sort of the equilibrium of the economy and so mm-hmm. you have the business cycle but then you have structural factors so like a you know a change to some property law or something like the rules of the game some, something changes there or you have a big natural disaster, you have a structural change and that shifts, that changes your equilibrium and it shocks the economy out of its regular patterns and it'll take some time for, for it to get back. And so mm. you kind of talk about in sort of economics, you talk about these two factors, the, the cycle, the business cycle being the sort of the natural tendency of the economy and then the structural factors that shock it here and there. But the thing is we have an interventionist government running interventionist economic policy. Technology is constantly changing and constantly rewriting the rules of of economic interaction. And so it seems to me that it's just constant constant structural change. That's what drives the economy. It's constantly structurally changing this way or the, the other. And maybe there is a business cycle dynamic in play, but the structural factors are much more much more important in my mind mm. and and that's why i think you can't play the business cycle it doesn't it doesn't play out in such a way that you can go yep yeah, ah yeah like you look at the charts of the business cycle in any textbook it's incredibly mm. smooth and predictable and you'd always like ah oh, yeah we're definitely at the trough here and yet we're definitely at the peak here but there's always yeah. debate in the markets at any point in time about where we're at right even right at the peak you know half the economists are saying we're not at the peak we're going higher you know, and right at the right. trough, half the economists are saying we're not at the trough, we're going lower. And so mm. it's very difficult to play and it's difficult to play because I think it gets swamped by these structural factors. All right. Well, there you go. I, hopefully that's answered Scotty's question and once again reminded us all that economists can't predict anything. They can just tell you simply what has happened before. Uh, unlike a, a building engineer who can say I'm going to build a building over there <laughs> and it's going to be 100 metres tall. Economists don't know how tall the building's going to be until after it's built. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thomas, at the top of the show, I mentioned the word stagflation uh, that seems to be popping up more and more, particularly as the war in Ukraine unfolds. Mm-hmm. I googled stagflation last night and I found an article and I didn't really understand any of it, mm. though I had been drinking. So, 
hoping <laughs> hoping you can maybe uh, explain stagflation and why mm. it seems to be uh, popping up more and more now in the news. Mm. Yeah, as I was saying last night, but you, you probably don't remember, obviously. But, <laughs> um, yeah, stag- yeah, stagflation is a portmanteau of uh, stagnation and inflation. And it's this sort of weird economic situation you get where you have inflation and a recession at the same time. In the typical way it's thought of, and particularly in that business cycle we're just talking about, you get inflation at the top of the cycle where the economy's running hot, there's too many dollars t- chasing too few goods. So prices mm. start to lift. Um, that's one of your stabilizers. Lifting prices starts to slow economic activity. But yeah, but that's what you get. Like when the, the economy is running hot, there's too many dollars chasing too few goods and that's when you get inflation. And that's typically in the inflation that we get. But you can get, and it's also called demand pull inflation. And that's what we've seen, right, as the result of the pandemic. So um, mm. supply chain disruption, no. bunch of other stuff that meant... What? No, that's, that's yes, it is. No, that's the opposite of it. All the stimulus checks that came through and all the money that people have, yeah, that created demand pool. But the when there's ah. a, when there's a supply shock, when there's disruptions mm. to the supply chains and that pushes prices up, um, mm. that's cost push inflation, um, ah. and that's that's a different thing. So that's not coming so, about. So nuanced. Mm, mm. <laughs> I'm calling it nuance anyway. Yeah. <laughs> If you use portmanteau, I'm using nuance. <laughs> yeah. um, right, okay. That's cost push inflation when in, when your supply chains get, get disrupted and that creates, creates inflation. Mm. What we're talking about with stagflation is that the economy is starting to slow in some places or they're worrying about that, particularly in America. Not so much here. Like you talk, you know, we're growing at 4.2%. The Aussie economy is running pretty hot, but that's not all. That's not everywhere in the developed world right now. Some, mm. some, some economies are slowing and they're, they're slowing just as prices are rising and price shocks are growing, particularly through oil prices, through what's happening in Russia. And so that raises the prospect that they could be slowing, potentially moving into recession just as prices start to ramp up even more. And then you get stagflation, and that's a that's a pretty that's seen as worse than just ordinary vanilla inflation, even ordinary high inflation. Because in the demand pool story, it's because the economy is hot and people have jobs, and it's like okay, their purchasing power is going down, but I'm earning more, and I've got I've got bargaining power. I can get higher wages, and I can you know I can try and catch up. Mm. So it doesn't put ordinary people at such a disadvantage, but in a stagflationary settings, you've got a recession and people are losing jobs or their wages are going down at the same time as the cost of living is going up and everything's becoming right. more expensive. And then you've got a really you know, horrible situation for households that they're losing jobs, they've got less money, but everything they need to buy is going up so their purchasing power is going down. So is that happening at all in Australia at the moment? Are we seeing it yet? I mean, people, I hear, I hear a lot about the rental market and people just being... People are kind of being priced out of the rental market. Like are things like that is, that, is that a kind of stagflation thing or are we not really seeing stagflation yet? I don't think you'd call that stagflation. I mean, the Aussie housing market's pretty dysfunctional and it's kind of its own beast. Right. And it's more of, yeah, I don't know, it's about household formation. There's just so many households chasing too few houses. So I guess you'd mm. call that demand pool. Yeah, but I think it, like terms of like we're not really seeing the Aussie inflation data is still pretty soft. We're not seeing that mm. pick up yet. That you sh- that should accelerate with oil prices because petrol prices are pretty 
at nose water level, nosebleed levels here. Mm. So that, that should feed through into inflation. But the economy's hot, so you can, we can kind of roll with it. Um, if it starts to hurt the economy, then that's a, that, that, might, yeah, that might change. I mean, the thing is, like, when you start, when oil prices go up, and, and the big stagflation example that we look to in history is the oil shocks of the 70s, uh, when OPEC decided it got together and just jacked oil prices. Then when oil prices mm. go up, that feeds through everything in your economy and particularly because you, 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 your whole economy is geared up around petrol prices within a particular range and everything sort of float. you know, the whole system works with, with petrol prices at a, in a certain range. Once they bust out of that range, then all of your sort of, your, your economy is just not able to deal with it uh, and you get sort mm. of a big... You get massive disruptions, and the economy can't really roll with that roll with that punch. And is that why is that why I'm hearing the word more now as as the war escalates in Ukraine? Because they're talking about a lot of disruption to oil supply as mm. a result of the war. Yeah. So is that why the why I'm hearing it more now? Yeah. Because of what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So we're looking back to history. So when was the last time we had mm. a major oil shock? Well, it was stag the stagflationary seventies. They've been sort of more, mm. they've been sort of temporary shocks, like but not I've as never, lasting. I've never heard them called the stagflationary seventies. I've heard the seventies <laughs> described a lot of different ways, <laughs> never as the stagflationary seventies. <laughs> it's not. It's not. The economy is bigger and more complex. Oil prices matter, but not. I think as much as they mattered back in the seventies. Is green energy kind of green energy lessening the, the blow? Yeah, it would definitely have to be. Yeah. So as as more and more. Uh, you know, green energy comes online, then then I guess the impacts of, of yeah. oil supply shock would be less. That's right, that's right. If you get a permanent shock to oil, petrol prices and they, and they remain high, that just mm. encourages the uptake of electric vehicles. Like that just mm. wasn't an option in the 70s, like EVs weren't around. But now like if petrol prices stay high, more and more people would be like, Actually, you know what, I'm just going to go electric, I'm going in there anyway, this is, yeah. I might as well just do it now. <laughs> Yeah, right. But it's still, I mean, it's a long way off though because oil prices obviously factor pretty heavily into shipping and transport and, um, you know, moving goods around. So, you know, that's that's going to affect supermarket prices. Whether whether or not you've got an electric car or not to get your goods home from the from, from Woolies, you've still got to yeah, get no, two Woolies in the first place. It could be a story, definitely. But I think, I, think, I think it's still too early to talk about because the economy is still running pretty hot right now. Mm. Households are flush, as we're saying, and that's a developed world phenomenon. It's not just Australia. Most households across the developed world are pretty flush. So I, don't, I think if it's, the, I think if it's the media's too early. taught me anything, mm-hmm. if the media's taught me anything, it's not too early to talk about it. <laughs> if there's a, a hint or a gentle whiff of stagflation, <laughs> then it could, it could be quickly become the new buzzword. So mm. well, that's good though. Like at least if you're list- out there listening to this show and you are reading about stagflation here and there, then maybe you can just kind of relax and, and ease into some stagflation. You know, <laughs> no cause for panic just yet. Mm. <laughs> All right. Uh, I reckon that does it for today, Thomas. We've got uh, families that are due home any minute and this house will not be conducive to podcast recording in about six minutes, I reckon. So uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Don't forget, uh, lots of other great shows uh, across Equity Mates Media. Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're In Good Company, Talk Money To Me, Crypto Curious. Um, one thing I did want to point out as well was that if you, if you do feel you'd like to contribute 
contribute some money or make a donation. Um, particularly, Thomas's community is is struggling with the impacts of the floods. A lot of people within within Thomas's area affected by it, and you'll get you're heading back soon, Thomas, to help mm. out. We'll put a link in the show notes to the Mullumbimby District Neighbourhood Centre. Have a, a donation page there. Uh, really central to providing services uh, in the Mullumbimby area. So we'll put a link there if you do feel inclined. Uh, we thought about setting up a GoFundMe page, but I think money is, is um, best directed to people who can coordinate the effort a bit better than <laughs> certainly than I could, but Thomas would probably be all right at it. <laughs> uh, but if you would like to donate and contribute in some small way, that would be much appreciated uh, by Thomas and, and the broader community in the area. So mm. that'll do us for now. Uh, really do appreciate you tuning in once again, and we'll talk to you again soon on Comedian versus Economist. Bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.